Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Let me tell you a story. It's a true story from the 1970s. Thomas Oden held a PhD. He was a theologian and professor of theology and ethics at Drew University. And his colleague and friend was a cantankerous yet endearing Jewish philosopher named Will Herberg. So one day, when Thomas and Will were talking, Will said something to Thomas that all of Thomas's Christian friends were too polite to say. Will says, Thomas, you will not be a genuine theologian until you have read the Church Fathers. You will remain uneducated until you have read deeply the patristic and metristic ancient and medieval writers of Christianity. You need to go back. You need to read what the ancient Christians were writing about Christianity. You see, Will saw a prejudice in Thomas to choose the modern and the new over and against the ancient. If something was a new idea, then in Thomas's mind, it must be a better idea. And so Will was saying, you need to go back. You need to read these ancient writers. Now, Thomas had a PhD in theology. He was a professor of theology. He had read deeply and widely Freud, Marx, Kierkegaard, so many of the modern thinkers. And here his friend was saying he couldn't even call himself a theologian. And actually, it was true that he had not read the church fathers and mothers. And so that challenge from Will Herberg began a journey that continued for pretty much the rest of Thomas's life, another 40 to 50 years. Thomas began reading the church fathers of the Eastern Church, Athanasius, Basil, Gregory of Nazianzus, Chrysostom. He began reading the church fathers of the Western Church, Ambrose, Augustine, Jerome, Gregory the Great. He read across the globe, Africa, Asia, Europe, He read across the centuries, especially the first five centuries of Christianity. He read from the church mothers, the women leaders of the church in the early centuries. He read from Macrina, Perpetua, Cecilia of Rome, Agatha of Sicily, Margaret of Antioch, Paula, Eustochium, Ama Theodora. And he learned that Christianity has regrettably been portrayed as being primarily European, but that Christian formation is actually the oldest in Africa, and that many of Christianity's greatest leaders were African. Tertullian, Origen, Cyprian, Athanasius, Didymus the Blind, Augustine, the Great Cyril. 
And in the process of reading these folks, Thomas realized that he had held an assumption that whatever was new was better and that whatever was ancient was irrelevant. But what he encountered was something else altogether. He encountered a deep relevance of these ancient Christian writings for the world today. He encountered ancient thinkers who had grappled with questions that he thought were new questions, and he realized people had been wrestling with these for a long time. He found ancient thinkers intuiting wisdom that he thought to be new modern theories of sociology or psychology, but he found the seeds of these ideas in the ancient thinkers, that these ideas were actually really old. He was reading Nemesius when he said, I knew I had to listen like I never had to listen before. I knew that my life depended upon it. And so this reading began a project. And that project was to seek to express that which has been believed everywhere, always, and by all the worshiping community, all the believing church down through the centuries. His focus was to explain theology based on consensus, to write nothing original, to make no new contribution to theology, but only to write what was believed by the early church, the medieval church, the reformers, and the best of the contemporary church. So for a belief to fit into consensus, that belief had to be held at each of these stages across history. His concern was not with knocking down beliefs, but with upbuilding, not with polemics or partisanship, but with peacemaking, not with differences, but with consensus, not development of doctrine, but unity of Christian tradition, as imaginatively expressed across vastly different cultural environments. And so what he found could be in many ways described as the faith handed on by the apostles and found in the most ancient creeds, specifically the Apostles' Creed being the most common confession of Christians down through the centuries. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead or into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy and whole Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So Thomas wrote this consensus that he found in his book, Classic Christianity. And he says, 
If my work drives you to read the church fathers and mothers, I have accomplished my goal. He found that the affirmations that are most alive in Christian teaching are those that are the most widely shared across all time and geography. And this is called historic orthodoxy. It's classic Christianity, or sometimes it's called paleo-orthodoxy. I like that image of the heartwood of a tree, because if the Christian family tree has 45,000 different branches, different Christian denominations, historic orthodoxy is the heartwood. It's what has always been there. Now, why do I bring this short story to you today? It's because historic orthodoxy has saved the faith of numerous Christians. And so our Faith and Doubt series, simply, it wouldn't be complete without at least an introduction to historic orthodoxy and an invitation to read someone ancient. Historic orthodoxy has freed numerous Christians from feeling like they only have two options, two choices, neither of which are acceptable. So a lot of people feel like, well, either they have to accept an extremely wooden, literal reading of the Bible, where there's just one single legitimate right interpretation, everything is divided into simple start categories, you got to choose one of the 45,000 Christian denominations and claim they're getting the Bible right. And the other option is, well, you just kind of, anything goes, make it up as you go along, that kind of faith. And for a lot of people, neither of these work. Like, how can there be such a thing as one right interpretation when there are 45,000 different Christian denominations? And on the other hand, they really aren't ready to untether from Scripture and float out into outer space because they see the Bible as the primary source and guide for all Christian teaching. This tension is nothing new. St. Augustine says, if you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. But on the other hand, Gregory of Nyssa says, those who handle the text in too literal a manner have a veil cast over their eyes, whereas those who turn to contemplate the God of whom the Scriptures speak receive the revelation of divine glory which lies behind the letter of the text. And so I bring this to you today because for some people, when they feel like neither wooden fundamentalism or completely untethered progressivism is working for them, one right interpretation or make it up as you go along, what actually ends up saving their faith is historic orthodoxy. It's that heartwood of the tree. Yes, the church fathers and mothers disagreed on a bewildering number of things. Yes, they wrote some things that are wacky and weird and out there and wonderful. And what if all of that shows us something really important? What if it shows us how much room there is while not walking away from the core of this faith that we hold so dear? Within historic orthodoxy, many Christians have found a space with room, a focus on the meaning of the incarnation and the resurrection, 
a longevity of two millennia over and against wooden biblical interpretations that are only a hundred years old. They have found a faith that is shared worldwide by believers of 20 centuries, across generations, across cultures. They found scriptures that serve as a primary source and guide across the centuries and across cultures. They found a wide variety of right readings of scripture, a deep recognition of metaphor and varieties of expression of inspired scripture. They found a faith that has survived a multitude of different periods of modernity. And so with that, I simply give you this invitation. If you've never read a Christian that is like back from the first five centuries, back from, uh, you know, 300 A.D., 190 A.D., if you've never read one of the church fathers or mothers, I'd encourage you to give it a try. Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.